number 310 will be the song of invitation. Wow. Well, here we are. I think it's tradition that at the end of a gospel meeting, we have to talk about how fast it went, how good it was, how thankful we are. But you know, all those things are true. This has been kind of a whirlwind of a weekend, and uh, we're just really grateful to be here. We're thankful for the invitation of the elders to let our family come, and uh, you know, it was our intention to be a blessing from the con- to the congregation, um, but I think that we are the ones who are blessed by being here. We thank you for everything, and for Seth and Avery and uh, the Three Stooges entertaining us this weekend. <laughs> We've had a really good time, and we appreciate Seth and Avery's hospitality to us and everyone just being so encouraging and supportive. It's been a blessing, and I've been able to enjoy getting to share what I'm passionate about, which is the Word of God. And so I hope that the, the, the content this week has been beneficial, encouraging, and will drive you to further study and dedication to the service of our Lord Christ. Um, what we want to talk about this afternoon is relating to God through the Psalms. In the last year and a half or so, I've really come to appreciate and develop a desire to read the Psalms more closely. So the goal of the talk for this afternoon is to talk a little bit about what the purpose of the Psalms is that God has given us, uh, what the New Testament has to say um, about how we use them, a little bit of perspective from the Old Testament about what they were to them, and kind of with that light framework, we're going to take three Psalms, uh, one short one and two little more lengthy ones, and then guide, you know, do a guided study through these three psalms together. And if you're thinking, wow, like three chapter studies, it's not going to be that much. But I want to show you how we can go through these psalms and maybe give you some tools and methods that will help you make better use of these wonderful, wonderful parts of the Scripture that God has gifted to us and preserved for our learning. So let's talk about the psalms. First, what I'm not going to do is list a everywhere where the New Testament quotes the Psalms or where Jesus quoted the Psalms because there are just absolutely too many. If you want a place to start studying in the Psalms, I would say a good place to look is if you just start reading and one of them kind of speaks to you or applies to your situation, drill down on that. Fantastic. But if you're looking for some other Psalms to look at, you can find places where the New Testament quotes them and say, okay, well, what is the New Testament saying about this Psalm? And and then use that as a starting place to get going. Because when the Holy Spirit gives us a commentary, it's wise to pay attention to that. So you look at it in the Scripture and say, this is what this psalm is talking about. So here's a couple. Uh, how did the New Testament, or how, how do we see them used in the New Testament? Well, you know, we have the book of Psalms, and the Jews had these psalms that were given to them. And that was their hymnal. It was literally like this, like we have song books. I don't know, did anyone ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but shake your head if, if you're familiar with the old hymnal sacred selections. All right, yeah, with the pink. I don't know why. Yeah, Brother Hugh, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I don't, I don't know why to this day, Brother Hugh, that, the, that there was some of those printed in pink. It's a mystery to me to this day, but they were there right on the, on the inside and outside covers. But yeah, that was a traditional hymnal that we've had, and some of you know the, the hymnals from that Brother Spence published before I was alive a long time ago. 
And these are the songs that we sing, right? We get new songbooks, but there are songs that we know that are kind of standard, right, in our hymns. Well, the, the Psalms were the hymn book of the Jewish people, and not that they only sang those, but they were the hymn book for the Jewish people, and they continued to be used by the Christian church in the first century. James says in James chapter 5, verse 13, if any, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. So what James is saying is that there's different times in our life, different ways that we are feeling, and if we are feeling grateful or cheerful, then there's a psalm for that, that we can go to the psalms and use them as a, a template, if you will, or as a lens to use to focus our emotion or our feeling back to God. And that's the big idea. The Psalms are a set of spirit-inspired templates that allow us to take whatever we're feeling, whether it be cheer or sadness or frustration or overwhelm, whatever it is, to use these as a set of templates to see how we can use it as a lens to redirect that emotion, that feeling, back to God in a way that honors Him. Because as I tell my boys all the time, Our emotions make wonderful servants, but they make terrible masters. God gave us emotions as a gift to serve us, to help us to serve Him. And when we focus them appropriately back toward God, they will do us good. So, cheer. Hey, Psalm. there's a psalm for that. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So this is a clue to us that in the assembly of the first century church, when Paul was giving uh, some instruction in 1 Corinthians 14 about how the church is to conduct public worship, that psalms were a part of that, just as much as the tongue, the revelation, or any teaching. And another point is that those psalms that they used were primarily for the purpose of edification. In other words, building up the, the saints, building up the church. So it's useful for that. Also, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, here's a commandment. It's a, it's a positive and a negative. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So how do we do that? Right? If we, you know, people talk about, well, I was filled with the Spirit, or I need to be filled with the Spirit. Well, one way that we can be filled with the Spirit is by speaking the things of the Spirit. And we have that here, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to your heart in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can use these psalms whenever we fill our mouths and our hearts with the words of these, then we are, in a sense, filled with the Spirit. And there's a reason why so many of our hymns that we have are derived from the lyrics and the concepts we have in the psalms. So that's another great way that we can utilize these and connect with them. Finally, Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, another great component of the psalms is not only... Um, can they help us express those emotions that um, Brother Samuel, the song that you led, that's a perfect song for this. Um, sometimes our feelings, they take us all over the place. They toss us to and fro. But when we can focus them on the Word of God, it helps. But they can also teach and admonish. The Psalms are instructive. 
Now, we need to remember that these are poetry, and so not everything that you read in every psalm is going to apply specifically to you at all times, okay? Uh, you know, when David is talking about, you know, piercing his enemies and Psalm 128, I definitely don't think you should live that one out <laughs> at the end. But if you don't know what it says, go read it tonight, all right? So, Psalm 128, don't do that one. But they're instructive, They teach the principles of God about how we're supposed to behave as a person of integrity, as a person who seeks God. And so the Psalms are helpful in that way. All right, so what have we covered so far? Our Psalms are an expression of our praise. They're a vehicle by which we can express our gratitude. They edify the church. They engage our heart on a base level. They admonish and teach us. They allow the words of Christ to dwell within us when we use them. They're a way that we can be full of the Spirit, and they're also full of teaching from the mind of God. And these are all just a few benefits that the Psalms can give us. So, let's look at some Psalms. The first one is Psalm 100. I'm not going to have the verses on there. I want you to open up your Bible or your app if you've got one and follow along. Psalm 100. This is a short one, and this is an encouraging, happy psalm that we're going to start with because the psalms, they run the gamut, all right? Now, as we, before we read this psalm, what I want you to try to do is imagine the writer of the psalm is having a video camera, okay? This is where we're going to think about lens and perspective. Or maybe if it's easier to think about it this way, if you were to try to capture the video, of what's going on on your phone, right? Where, where is the person taking the video? Where, where are they? What are they looking at? And what are they seeing? Because the Psalms, a lot, are visual. There's a lot of changing of perspective. Where is the person? What are they seeing? So try to envision where this Psalm is taking place as we read it together. Psalm 100. I'm going to read it quickly, and then we'll go back and talk about a few of the things that we can draw out. Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. Know that he, the Lord, is he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are the people, are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Now, that's a pretty popular one. We've all probably read that or heard it read on a Sunday morning as the service was going to begin. But let's, let's look at a couple of things here. First, we understand that it's appropriate to the, for the people of God to praise him, to praise him loudly, to praise him with enthusiasm and excitement for who He is. And it's also a joy to serve the Lord that we can do that with a glad heart. Now this next part, it talks about the principle. Let's praise God. And then he says, and let's come before His presence with singing. And that's what we do, right? Whenever we begin the worship, sometimes we start with a prayer or whatever, but we begin the worship with singing. We come before Him bearing the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips to God. And these songs that we sing, a lot of the time, they position us appropriately before God as we extol how great and and wonderful He is. 
and how we need Him and depend on Him for everything that we have. And we recognize that there is a God and it's not us. That He is Lord Yahweh. And we did not make ourselves. We're here because of Him. It's not through our own efforts like we talked about this morning. It's through His grace. And that we are the people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, we grew up owning livestock. Um, We only had a couple of sheep, and uh, that was too, too many. We had mostly cattle, uh, and we owned a lot of those. And they belonged to us. And we could look out in the pasture, and we could say, those are our cattle. They are our property. We own them. But this says here that we belong to God. Like, He owns us. He made us. We didn't make Him. We belong to Him. And so we are the people of His pasture. Now, the reason that's important is that it's not like, well, that, being, that belonging to God is a bad thing. That belonging to God is that He places us in a place of nourishment, safety, and His protection, His pasture. That being belonging to God means that we're protected, that we're safe. And we can be glad about that. And then a response to that, and all this is in verse 4, enter into His gates with thanksgiving. So in my brain, whenever I read this passage, I have this, this vision in my mind that says, it's almost like there's this big, beautiful palace. That, it's, that would be the throne room of God. Or maybe the temple is probably what they saw in their frame of reference. And there was a courtyard to this temple. And not just everybody was allowed in here, right? Gentiles, they weren't allowed into the inner court of the temple. This was a special place. And this psalm here invites us to enter the presence of God in a way that's safe for us to do so. That I can just see, and it's almost like I'm inside and seeing people come in, those gates, they just swing open, inviting people to come in. And the people who have been anxiously awaiting, it's kind of like Target on Black Friday, right? So at the door, like, let us in, let us in. Got to have a new stereo, right? And then the doors open and the people, they rush in. And I hope they're happy. Sometimes they're not. But we're happy to come in and worship God. We enter these courts with praise and with song, with our thanks, because we want to come and bless the name of God. And the reason that we want to bless the name of God is because He's good. He's just good. And He's merciful forever. And the truth that we can learn from God endures to all generations. In this psalm, just makes me feel thankful and glad and eager to worship. It makes me want to worship Him more. And so this is a way that we can take that idea as we prepare our minds for worship to do that with the right heart and the right frame of mind. So that's Psalm 100, a quick walkthrough. Now the next one is Psalm 102. Psalm 102 is not quite as happy as Psalm 100. I don't know, different, different translations of the Scripture have different subtitles for these. Um, the New King James, and I think the ESV are pretty similar. This says, a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So I think we're probably all familiar with the feeling of overwhelm. We can be overwhelmed by a lot of things. We can be overwhelmed by our job. We can be overwhelmed with the challenge of being a parent. We can be overwhelmed with uh, problems and drama with our friends or with our school or college work. We can be overwhelmed 
by a health challenge, a problem that we face, an ongoing challenge with the health of ourselves or someone that we love. We can be overwhelmed by the loss of someone that we love or marriage trouble. A lot of things in life can just get us down. And sometimes it's hard to pray because maybe we don't know what to pray for. And sometimes we just have our our hearts so full, but we don't feel like, well, but I better not complain because it could be worse. (laughs) You know, somebody has it worse than me, so I don't need to complain. But I would like to challenge that assertion. And I'm not saying that we should murmur against God. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we need to have a prayer life with God that we can be authentic with Him and be honest with God about what's going on and not feel like we have to come to God with certain kinds of words or come to Him with a certain formula or come to Him and put on a good face for God because you can't put on a good face for God. He sees. He sees. You can't put on a face that He can't see through. And sometimes when we come to God in prayer, we just have to pour out our complaint. Now, in the Psalms... The, the writer of the psalm may start out one way, and a lot of times there is a definite line where the psalm takes a turn, a shift. And I'll identify the shift in this psalm. So we'll look for that. But this is one where we're just going to hear a complaint. Now, there may be parts of this complaint that you can relate with, and there may be some of the things that this person is experiencing that apply to you. And there may be some that don't. And I'll explain what I mean here in a moment when we get to it. But just hang with us and let's keep in mind perspective of who's doing the talking, where are they, and what are they seeing. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. And do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call and answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Because the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I'm like an owl in the desert. I lie awake. I am like a sparrow alone on the housetop. So here is the problem. The feeling is distress, overwhelm. The feeling of God not being there. The feeling that God is not listening. He's not seeing. He's not paying attention. And you need Him. And the reason that God is needed is because there's an ailment. The days just pass like smoke. You feel dried up, withered up, burned up, chewed up. Spent and alone. Verse 6. I'm like a pelican, an owl, and a sparrow. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with pelicans. When I was growing up in southern Oklahoma, our high school science teacher said that she saw one, and we thought she was crazy. I don't know if pelicans are endemic to south central Oklahoma or not, nor am I aware if they are a social bird or a solitary bird. (laughs) But apparently this pelican in the wilderness was pretty alone. I'm like an owl of the desert. Now, I do know about owls. 
And owls, you almost never see them, but you can hear them. I was working the other day, and I heard one. It was the middle of the day. I heard one hooting outside. They don't flock together. They're alone. And a sparrow. I don't know if you've ever heard that old saying, I'm lonely as a sparrow in the rain. Think about that poor bird with its nest on top of the house, all alone. You ever feel all alone in your day of trouble? Nobody understands. Nobody cares. And then let's add another layer. Verse 8. This, this part may or may not apply to you. My enemies reproach me all the day long. And those who deride me swear an oath against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath. In this case, the indignation or the wrath comes from God. Again, that may or may not apply to you, but it can be real. We can feel the discipline of the Lord. Whenever we've been unfaithful, we can understand and feel His chastening, as other scriptures teach about, and it's unpleasant to say the very least. Verse 11, my days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. And in times where we feel like we are persecuted by our enemies, like God is against us, where we're suffering because of our sin, it's the most isolating and lonely feeling that you can imagine. Now here's a shift in the psalm. Verse 13. So the writer has been looking inward like their own life. And the perspective is going to change from looking at themselves to instead looking to God. Verse 12. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever. And the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion, the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones, the stones of that city, and show favor to her dust. So let the nations fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion, and he shall appear in his glory, and shall regard the prayer of the destitute, and he shall not despise their prayer. This will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. Ah, the perspective changed. Did you see it? David is looking at the city of Zion. He's saying, things are bad for me. Things are really bad. But you know, I know that because God is faithful, he's going to look on his city of Zion and he's going to be good and gracious. Notice how he took all the emphasis off of his own problems off of his self, and is reminded that the, even though things may be bad for him right now, he believes the overarching promise of God's grace to his people. So he shifts the perspective. And then he says, he shifts it to the perspective of God here. He says, in verse 19, he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, now the writer is looking over to the city and all the the beautiful glory and his faith in God's promise that lives there. And then he, he imagines what the earth would look like from God's perspective, looking up from way up high. The Lord looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven, the Lord viewed the earth. Think about Google Earth for a moment, right? To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms, to serve the Lord. The shift in the woe is me feeling, which was legitimate, has gone 
to the people of God and God's faithfulness to all of Israel. Now, in verse 33, there's a little bit of a shift back to me. It says, He weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. I said, Oh, my God, do not take away in the midst, do not take me away in the midst of my days. So he's feeling mortality, knowing that if something doesn't change, that he'll be cut off, that he won't continue. And then he, he, he juxtaposes his own mortality with the eternal nature of God. And he says, your years are throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And the children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. What's that mean? Well, the writer of the psalm who's overwhelmed and lonely and feeling chastened by the Lord and despised by his enemies takes hope in the fact that even though they may be cut off early, the truth is that we're all going to be cut off at some point in time. Everybody except for God. And even the, the, the works of God, the heavens and the earth will pass away. But what he's saying is that those who God loves, there'll be hope for them that there is going to be a generation that will continue and they'll be established forever before God. And so it's a change in our perspective. Whenever the things in life begin to chew us up and spit us out and we feel like it's never going to get any better, and the truth is is that it may not. But we also understand that in the midst of our suffering, we have a God who sees. We have a God who respects the prayer of the stricken and has given us hope beyond creation that He's there for us. And so in the middle of our suffering, that perspective can bring hope and comfort. And that's Psalm 102. Finally, flip over to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 has a different structure a little bit. It's got a different theme, and it addresses a lot of different kinds of people. So in the the New King James, the heading says, Thanksgiving to the Lord for His great works of deliverance, and that's accurate. The ESV reads, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And I'll try my best, but this psalm hits pretty hard. So hang on. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He's good, for His mercy endures forever. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. There's a theme we're going to come back to, that this psalm is going to be a a series of short stories, little situations about people who found themselves in great distress and the Lord came back for them. And the idea at the very beginning of the psalm is if the Lord has redeemed you, you can say so. And that's what we're going to come back to several times through this psalm. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, verse 2, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and the south, they wandered in a wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry, thirsty. Their soul fainted in them, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them. Out of all their distresses, and he led them forth to the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. I don't, you, I don't know if, if you have ever been in need. If you have ever felt like Well, there may be people here who've been homeless before. Now, I was homeless for about three days one time. (laughs) when We were building our house, and our landlord said, you've got to be out of the house because we're turning it into an Airbnb, and there's a bicycle race coming up, and you've got to go. So we had to go. But it was the rainiest year that we'd ever had in Stillwater, and the construction was delayed, and we literally had nowhere to go. Like our stuff, we had to move our stuff. It sat on a U-Haul for a couple of days. Eventually, I had to move all of our possessions into our unfinished garage, and then when the rest of our house was finished, we had to move again out of the garage and into the rest of the house. It was terrible. Uh, We were like, I sent Laura to stay with Erica down in Bridgeport. I was bumming bumming a couch off some people. We got an Airbnb. I mean, there was all kinds of things that were happening, but it is really lousy to not have a place to go physically. But there may be people who beyond having, not having a physical place to go, they don't have a community to belong to. You ever been there? You ever been lonely? Felt like you didn't have anybody? You had nobody to fit in with? You had nobody to welcome you, to make you part of their family? I'm thankful for the family of God. Because in life, sometimes we're wandering around hungry and thirsty for connection for a family hungry and thirsty for God. And when we cry out to the Lord, He can redeem us, and He can deliver us. He can fill us and slake our thirst. And if the Lord has filled you and helped you, then you can say so, and you should. Here's some different people. Verse 10, those who sat in the darkness of the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and they despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor and they fell down and there was none to help. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distress, and he brought them out of the darkness of the shadow of death, and he broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze, and he has cut the bars of iron in two. This is a perspective of someone who's imprisoned, bound, You ever been stuck in the prison of your own choices? 
You ever felt like because of your sin that you had no place to go, that there was no getting out, that you were stuck, and you knew that it was because you rejected the counsel of God that you had sinned against His Word, and you had fallen down and there was no way out. And at this, in those times, that's when the devil tells us the lie that we can't. We can't. That we can't call God. That we can't reach out to Him. That we can't pray. That we can't ask for help. That's the lie. Because the Bible says here that when we get in that position of being at the end of what we can do, that we can cry out to the Lord in our day of trouble, and He will save us out of our distress. And it's hard to see sometimes because when you're the one who's in prison, you're the one who's stuck. You're the one who's behind the gate of bronze. You're the one that's behind the bars of iron. You're the one who's tied with the chain. But we can call out to God, and He sees through the shadow of death. He bursts our chains. He breaks our gates. He cuts our bars. And if you've ever been a recipient of the grace of God, whenever you've rebelled against His Word and He's delivered you out of all of your troubles, then you can say so. And you should. You should. Here's another situation here that this psalm addresses. In the next cut, verse 17 says, Fools! Because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted, and their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their distresses. He sent word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. Have you ever been like that foolish person who, because of your sin, was bowed down with guilt? Guilt. One of the most powerful human emotions and one of the most unpleasant. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt so guilty that you didn't even think that you could eat? that you didn't even want food, that you wouldn't even practice self-care. You wouldn't even take care of yourself and love you like God does. If you ever find that you're getting close to the end and that you don't want to take that next step or that you don't even want to continue to live, I want you to know that the Lord wants you to live, that He wants you to take care of yourself, and that He wants you to cry out to Him in that day of distress because He can deliver you from all of your destruction. And God's desire is that we would give thanks to Him for all His wonderful works to the children of men. And if the Lord has redeemed you from your foolishness and guilt, then you can say so. And you should. Verse 23 talks about a different kind of person. This is a kind of person who gets a big plan. And they're going to do great things. And they hope it works out. Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships and those who do business on great waters. And they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind. We can relate with that one today. Okay. 
which lifts up the waves of the sea, and they mount up to the heavens, and they go down again to the depths, and their soul melts because of trouble. And they reel to and fro, and they stagger like a drunken man, and they are at their wits' end. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had a big plan? You wanted to go on a big adventure? You had a big business deal? And you were going to try your luck, which is a good thing. You know, back in these days, one of the most risky things you could do was to go out onto the sea in a ship and say, oh, I'm going to take these goods and these people and we're going to go to this place. It was very risky because there's like a, you know, a thousand ways to die in the ocean. I mean, you know, there's waves and sharks and sea monsters and all that stuff, right? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to die out there. And these people, they get on their ship. They're pretty confident. They, they got it figured out and they're going to go. And they get out there, and the Bible says here that they see the works of the Lord. They see Leviathan, right? They see the waves, the wonders of the deep. And they learn how insignificant they are and how insignificant their plans are. They see that storm that comes up, and they're on that little ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and there's nothing to save them. No one's coming. It's just them. And I love the visual of this psalm. It says they mount up to the heavens and they go down to the depths. I don't know if you've ever seen a video of a, a ship in a storm, like a, like a naval vessel on the North Sea in the winter, and there's a storm. And that, that ship will ride that wave up until it crests. And then the ship starts to go down. And it's riding the downward slope of that huge wave. And the boat goes down. And the front of the boat goes underneath the water. When I watch those, like my hands start to sweat because <laughs> that's just terrifying. But that's the visual we have, that ship going up and down and up and down. And you realize, like, yep, the only way we're surviving this is if Jesus loves me, right? That's it. And these people, they get out there in the middle of the ocean and they realize that they are literally over their heads. And they're at their wits' end. Have you ever been in trouble? Trouble at work, you thought you had it figured out, business deal going bad. Well, in those times, folks, then we can cry out to the Lord. And we may not understand how it's going to happen or what the Lord is going to do, but the Lord can bring us out of our distresses. He can either change the, the situation or He can change our mind, but He will bring us out of that situation. Verse 29, I love this shift because we had the raging storm and here's what he does. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. And then they're glad because they are quiet. And so he guides them to the desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them extol him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. Has the Lord redeemed you from your trouble? If he has, you can say so, and you should. What does the Lord do? Verse 33, he turns the rivers into a wilderness, and he turns the water springs into dry ground, the fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of those who dwelt in it, he turns a wilderness into pools of water, and the dry land into water springs. And he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place to sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. And he also blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let the cattle decrease 
When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes. And he causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. And he sets the poor on high, far from affliction. And he makes their families like a flock. The righteous And the righteous see it and rejoice. And all iniquity stops its mouth. You know what I get out of these passages here? When we're in the middle of a situation, whether it be our own rebellion against God, whether it be our own foolishness, whether it be our entrapment, whether it be an illness, a business deal gone bad, overwhelmed during finals week, frustrated with our marriage, distressing about our direction in life, these things, they overwhelm us. Because we don't see the way out. And this psalm offers us a perspective that backs away, the camera pans away from our problems. Because sometimes whenever we're fixated on our own problems and our own stress, we kind of curl inward like a dead spider. But when we can back away from that, we can get a perspective. Who do we call on when our world is coming apart, when we don't see the way out, when we're overwhelmed? Who do we call on? We call on the Lord. And we get a reminder here in this last stanza that we've got a God that's capable of turning a river into a desert. I can't do that, can you? We've got a God who can take a desolate waste and make a place for a thriving city. We've got a a God who can help the oppressed. We've got a God who can set princes to nothing. We've got a God who can reward the righteous and stop the talk of the evil. Can you do that? I can't do that. But our God can do that. And so the conclusion in verse 43 is this. Whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Is that perspective helpful to you? It's helpful to me. It's so valuable that we've got a set of 150 templates that can speak to any experience that we're having. Not only do they speak to our experience, they give us a perspective and a lens which to bring in, identify, process our emotions, and direct them back to God. Because... Without the last part of this psalms and the last part of these, we could just complain about our problems and we can moan and bellyache about everything that goes wrong with us. And that might be therapeutic to a degree, but it doesn't change us. But whenever we take our problems and we redirect all that back to God, that changes us. So that even if our situation doesn't get better, our hearts do. And it's all right here. Now, it's not to say that 
there's an instruction or a commentary on each little psalm that tells you what to do with it. It's work, folks. You've got to go in and recognize that it's poetry. And you've got to say, what's going on? Who's talking? Where are they talking from? And so I would encourage you to take these psalms and read one. If something that you like or is interesting or you like the sound of it, press in on that. Dig a little deeper. If you've got a psalm that you're um, curious about, I'd be happy to sit down um, or over the phone or on a Zoom call or ask one of these brothers here to do that. We can sit down on this psalm and look at it and help get the meaning that God wants to bring out because they are richer than I had ever imagined before I got serious about studying these things. So my intention today is that you'll recognize the value of these psalms as an aid to our faith, as a supplement to our encouragement to God, and that you'll be able to use them in the way that God intends to build you up, to encourage you, and to live a life that honors Christ with our emotions that hopefully we can to use them to be our servants and not our masters. So those are my thoughts for the evening. I haven't really talked about the gospel, but I have talked about the problem of our sin and our guilt, which is real. And tonight, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling trapped by your sin, if you're feeling dried up, used up, chewed up, locked up, then the Lord can help. Because as a psalm that we just read said, we can call out to the Lord in our day of trouble, and He will deliver us from all of our troubles. And I hope it will be the case for you that after He does that, that the redeemed of the Lord can say so, because you should. If you'd like to obey the gospel tonight, or if you'd like to have the church pray with you and for you tonight for whatever might be going on for you, We have one more invitation for this meeting tonight. Let the church serve you as we sing the invitation song.